Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. I hope it's helping you pass the time wherever you are. My guest this week is Jess Salguero, an actor and writer you've seen pop up in Orphan Black, Working Moms, The Expanse, Mary Kills People, The Boys, and Letterkenny, and on the big screen most recently in Mouthpiece and I'll Take Your Dead. And she stars as a Toronto pot dealer trying to cope with legalization in Jordi Saba's Canadian Strain, which arrived for sale and rental on digital platforms just last week. Jess picked One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Milos Forman's acclaimed 1975 adaptation of the Ken Kesey allegorical novel about conformity and individualism expressed as a battle of wills between the inmates and staff of a remote mental institution. Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher star as characters who personify the conflict, rebellious patient R.P. McMurphy and controlling nurse Ratchet. They're supported by a remarkable collection of performers, including Brad Dourif, Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, and Will Sampson. It's an electrifying drama that was also a critical and commercial smash, and the first film since it happened one night to win Oscars for Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, and Screenplay. Only The Silence of the Lambs has managed it since. As you'll hear, we taped this episode earlier in the month. Uh, it is in fact the last Simcast I recorded before everyone went into lockdown. Don't worry, it'll be fine. I have a few shows banked for future release, and we're experimenting with some remote options going forward. It might get weird, but the podcast will continue. This is someone else's movie. Um, well, I chose Month of the Cuckoo's Nest because I actually did the stage play oh, in yeah. college, and I played R.P. McMurphy, okay. but I played it as a bisexual woman on a co-ed ward. So there was men, and it was a, I mean, it was... It's a bit of a leap for Theater the concept, school, yeah. so we had mostly women in our class, so they had to make it work somehow. Um... And the director, I hadn't seen Cuckoo's Nest, and the director was like, don't watch it until you're done the show. So I didn't. I didn't touch it. And then I watched it, I feel like I watched it probably a year after I'd graduated. And it was such a good time, I think, to watch it, because I was just starting my career. Right. And... There was just something so liberating after being through theater school where, I mean, I somehow sort of escaped this a bit, but there's definitely a lot of, they want to tell you you're hit. They want to be like, you're an ingenue or you're a character actor. Right. Essentially, those are the two things for women. You're either that or the other. I somehow kind of managed to not fall into anything too limiting. However... Watching this right when I was kind of starting my career was so, uh, I, it was so exciting because I was like, wow, this is, this is what's possible. You can be this free. Like all the characters, it's not just McMurphy. I feel like all of the performers have these beautiful moments of, of, uh, they're enjoying it there's like this delight in it and there's also this like real honest pain it's it, it's just it, it made me realize like, there's no formula there's no like you need to be like this you need to be the, like that you just need to be present and be yourself yeah. as an actor yeah I I hadn't seen it in a really long time maybe 
maybe 20 years and I was stunned at how loose it is mm-hmm. at how the camera is so lively it feels like a documentary yeah but it doesn't feel like a documentary of the asylum it feels like a documentary of a performance like it, mm. it, there is it's exactly what you said everybody is so active you're watching the camera catch the, the method mm-hmm. the, whatever this thing is it's like a it's like a master class it's like a, a scene study that just yeah. doesn't stop and sometimes there's music and sometimes they go outside but you know it in that it was based on a play and, and broken out a tiny bit, it really doesn't feel like that. It feels mm-hmm. like you're in it. Yeah. Like you're just sitting at eye level with everyone else as it, as it all happens. Yeah. Apparently, the group therapy scenes, uh, the director Milos would have three cameras set up all the time so that he didn't miss anything. Right. Which was just something now that's standard, but then nobody... Oh, did. yeah. Yeah. Um... Which is also, like, so... As a performer, I'm so grateful for that. Because it's... Once you do something, you need to have the continuity. And then sometimes it loses that beautiful, delicious uh, spark that was just, like, in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes it wasn't captured, so you have to do it again. And then every time it sort of loses a little bit more of its special specialness. Um, And also the... I mean, the story is just, I mean, there's metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor in terms of just, like, the outsider disrupting the system and also giving the power back to people. Yeah. I found that so delightful. I keep saying delightful because that's, like, literally what... Uh, watching it again yesterday, I'm like, this is so delightful. Um, but, yeah, the, I feel like it's also so relevant now and probably always will be. It does have a timelessness, right? I mean, there's yeah. always going to be institutional abuse and there's always going to be someone who pushes back. Mm-hmm. But the the specificity of it here the thing that really strikes me is that like this is just after Vietnam I mean mm-hmm. during Vietnam when the, right. when the play was performed and, and I think pre-Vietnam when the book was written mm. and and Kesey was inspired by his time at a VA as, mm. as I understand it working at a VA hospital and so it's really more about trauma and damage and, and right. people putting themselves back together but it's also about the impulse to form teams and build support systems that the the system itself isn't providing yeah and to watch all of those things in play along with this larger metaphor about the state and the individual and and Mm -hmm. just the way that time i mean if you could make the case now that it's a 21st century story because it's all about someone who wants to stay true to himself and you know you could you could almost come up with a social media analog about being ground down by the pressures around you to conform and be part of the thing. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's infinity. It goes on forever and it's been going on forever, but also, and this was, this was what hit me about this version, this, this viewing. It's so raw and of the moment. And it doesn't like there's this and there's last tango in Paris and there's Mm. nothing else Mm. that captures that sort of intense American thing that Mm. was happening right at that time. And, it went away 
method performances never went away, but this thing, this idea that you can create a space where the story happens and just live in it. Right. These, it's so powerful. Wow. Yeah. 45 years later, it still really, really lands. I wonder if that had to do with the content itself, like the fact that you are in a mental hospital. Yeah. So there's a permission given to... Um, to the actors, I mean, to the world, to just be, to to just be fluid with their performances or do whatever they, their instinct is telling them, because it's, again, not, it's outside of formula, um, on how to behave or how yeah, to be a yeah. hero or how to be a villain. I love Nurse Ratched in this, too. I appreciate her more now watching it. Because I had way more sympathy for her. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's a real person. And like, especially at the time, she's definitely doing her best. <laughs> like, she, in ways, she's actually quite generous. And then, obviously, there's near the end with Billy. I mean, that's awful. The, But she doesn't know any different either. Yeah. She's come up in a culture that shames people around everything around sexuality especially mm-hmm. and so I'm sort of like well it's not really her fault um, and I loved that about this maybe it's looking at it through a different lens being older and being you know it being 2020 I just I'm more I'm less reluctant to want to look at anyone in a in a dualistic way as like hero villain. I like stories where there's constantly contradiction with the characters where because I think that's real. That's humanity. We're full of contradiction. Yeah. And uh I just yeah, watching it now I just really appreciated that about her character. Yeah, I I'm kind of amazed at my own turnaround, too, because I thought it was pretty well-defined that, that Ratched was the villain. I mean, she's the antagonist. Mm-hmm. But from her point of view, McMurphy's the antagonist because he's a dick who won't stop whatever it is she wants him to stop doing. <laughs> yeah. And she's the authority figure. And you, you see Fletcher, or I did this time anyway, it felt like she's ramping herself up to confront him yeah. in more than one scene where yeah. she's putting on an armor or putting on the act of... The, the inflexible nurse ratchet, the, mm. the thing that cannot be negotiated with or, or bargained sure. with and, and just clamping the hammer down yeah. on him because it's the only way she can handle him. And it's wrong and maybe she knows it, but she commits. So right. she can't stop. Right. And there's never, you know, now you would have, the, there's a, a is it uh, Ryan Murphy doing ratchet with, um, with Sarah Paulson? It's his show, yeah, right? I yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they will give us moments in that where she stops and wonders or she has a moment of doubt with herself, mm-hmm. if not with anyone else. And I don't know that... Like, it's clearly not necessary in the film because she's not the focal performer. But I don't know that I want to see that either. I only mm-hmm. want these tiny little moments where I think I saw conflict because that sure. makes her more interesting to sure. me. Sure. Um, Absolutely. I don't know how much you can humanize someone who chooses to be inhuman. Right. But the choice is what matters. Sure. And also, I think watching it again, I really was conscious of the fact that she's with a group of men. Mm -hmm. And 
that she is quite vulnerable. Obviously, some of them are unpredictable and have tendencies to violence. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's a really scary place to be. And I, I guess I understood the mass or like the, the inability to crack her armor a little bit more because I'm like, of course she has to be like that. Um, yeah, there were a couple characters that I feel like I, I just saw, oh my gosh, Turkle, like the, the guard that lets Candy and her friend in. Right. And when they destroy the ward and he gets caught by the supervisor for letting them have this party and he just keeps saying, this is my job. This is my job. And I'm like, yeah, it is his job, you assholes. Yeah. And, like, obviously, at the time, all things considered, that he's a racialized man. And these guys are just completely taking advantage of him. Mm -hmm. My heart broke for him. I felt, I was so stressed for him. I think that's the most stressed I felt throughout the whole movie. I I was like, guys, Turkle, though. Yeah, and they're playing. They're playing on his humanity, and mm-hmm. ultimately, he's doing a good. He thinks he's doing a good thing. He is doing a nice thing, mm-hmm. but it goes horribly wrong because this is that kind of movie. Yeah, um, it's not. I mean, again, it's not going to have a happy ending. Nothing yeah. in this movie is going to go well. Yeah, but it's kind of fascinating to see that as things go wrong, and we're in the we we're always on the side of the people who are trying to hold on to normalcy. Mm-hmm. Even I mean. Even characters like Billy, who have no normalcy, but probably could. Like, he mm-hmm. seems like he could be okay if he was treated properly, if he got some therapy, if yeah. they actually dealt with whatever it is that's in him, mm-hmm. that's that's pulling him apart, rather than just medicating him and shaming him. Yeah. Every time you see that there's a better way out, there's another way to do this that could have been better. Yeah. Uh, except maybe for McMurphy, who halfway through just sort of commits to destroying himself. Which, mm-hmm. again, is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the martyr's path is kind of the most trite dramatic thing Mm -hmm. but it doesn't play that way here because nicholson has so much life in him and he's so i mean it is the beginning of you know the bad jack nicholson performance the thing that is just him coasting on sure on charm and chaos (laughs) but it's so good yeah it's like this is a hate of the pure stuff the what the pure stuff the whatever Mm. that thing is you see it in easy rider you see it in the last detail uh, a couple of other movies he made around that time where he was just this... Yeah, it comes yeah. back in The Shining. That's true. But yeah. it's so potent. Oh, it's so potent. I mean, also, I think what might save it a bit is, like, he has heart in it. Yeah. Like, when Billy... Like, right at the end, when he has a choice to leave and right like he window, knows something yeah. happened and he had to go back. And just... When he's seeing how, like, in the group therapy, how some of the men are being spoken to, and he's just like, whoa, they're they're being talked to as children. Like, you can just see it in him. He's like, this isn't, this isn't okay. Yeah. Um, it's that Western thing, right? Like, the loner with the yeah, code. He totally. just can't, he can't not involve himself. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. I also was like, okay, well... Things that also I picked up on more, I suppose, is how disposable the women are in this. Like Candy and her yeah. friend. Again, I 
can't even remember her name. That's how much I was affected by it too. But um, how they use them as essentially currency. Yeah. Um, and I understand, obviously, this is context at the time, but also it, that's what's that's part of these films that sometimes is a bit hard to watch, I guess. Um, also, I was reading some stuff about it being a bit of a white savior movie. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, with his with McMurphy's relationship with Chief. Um, yeah, when you have basically the only native character in the film, and he doesn't speak, but yeah. he's he's learn he, you know he learns to open himself up again because of yeah the white man exactly that is kind of obvious especially and again in 1975 there was a lot going on mm-hmm. um around america's treatment of native americans mm-hmm. and that kind of went away and never came back which mm. is very frustrating but at the time it was a it was real it was a really big deal i think that they got will sampson to play that part and that the film treats him as because he was the narrator in the novel uh, and Kesey was oh, Kesey okay. di- basically disowned the adaptation before ever seeing it because he he heard that it wasn't going to be shot from Chief's perspective although I don't know how you can do that uh, in a film right because it's just unless you have constant voiceover but Chief is the narrator so he right. has a voice in the book right. that he's denied in the film I did not realize yeah, that it's a, it's a novel it's a really weird that change that is a huge difference hmm and I think it's done with the best of intentions because it focuses the story more on the conflict between McMurphy and Ratched, which is yeah. the core of the story. Yeah. It's just that it's no longer witnessed from the perspective of... They try. I mean, there are a lot of shots of, of Samson just looking at things. Right. But again, if he's not speaking, if he's not involved, it's... It is somehow... It's less than. Right? Absolutely. Like, it marginalizes him. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... There's there's probably a perspective that's like, well, you can, in a way, this is the biggest tragedy of all. That, like, when he, when Chief has his monologue about his father and how his father, no one killed his father, but they killed his spirit. Right. And, and that, in the end, Chief is the only one to escape. There is... I mean, there's kind of a beautiful thing to that, obviously accompanied with what we just said, the fact that Jack Nicholson's character is the one that allows him the permission yeah. is annoying. Um, <laughs> Inspires him to greatness and also murder. But, yeah, you know, true, true. And that's still a victory, true. right? It still plays as, because McMurphy has destroyed himself, ultimately. Mm-hmm. There's a point where he could go along, there's a point where he could get out. Mm-hmm. And this is where he ends up, and there's no like there's no question in the movie's mind that Chief is doing the right thing. Yeah, and it's just it's it's weird and sad and peaceful and angry all at once. Yeah, it is. It makes me want to read the novel. It's a now it's, that you've said that it's written by Chief's perspective. It's it's pretty good. Um, yeah, there's something to it, and and Murphy also. So you wouldn't know this too. Murphy was a like he's a giant red Irishman, red haired Irishman. Oh. Yeah, which is a complete change from Nicholson. But I think once they cast him, that's over. You just you get Jack Nicholson. Yeah. At that point in his career, and you yeah. let him do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, totally. But yeah, it's huh. yeah, it's a different 
it's a different experience, although the, the beats of it and, and the, the points of it are still the same. Right. And the overall argument is still, yeah, right. intact. That ensemble of actors is remarkable. Yeah, I was going to say try reading it without picturing any of them. Okay, it's, yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, um, I know. I'm like, how can I not imagine who, the guy who plays Cheswick? Like the, with the glasses. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. He was, oh, I was just so compelled by him. Because I was like, he's, like his inner child, like voice is there. Like as an actor, I was just like, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Christopher, Christopher Lloyd, Lloyd. Yeah, Brad Dourif as Billy. Oh, who, so beautiful. Yeah, who's heartbreaking. Never did anything else like that, which is so yeah. strange. I mean, he was almost immediately drafted into playing weirdos and villains. Um, and he's he's had a great career and done all kinds yeah. of stuff, but this it's shocking to realize no, that's the same guy. Like that's him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's Doc on Deadwood these days, or mm. he was most recently. It's probably right. the biggest role he's had in a while. And, and he was on Lord of the Rings, too, yeah, I think. Yes, that's right. He's Wormtongue's advisor, was he? Well, I don't... Yeah. Oh, I, yes! It's been forever, Yes, I, that was it. I just remember thinking, hey, that's Brad Dourif. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in like a bunch of David Lynch's stuff, and um, people are going to discover him in Dune now that they're make, remaking that. They'll go revisit oh, that. He's the right. one with the big, the big early speech. Um, ah. And it's just like, it's such an odd, eccentric performance. And then... The further away we get from these things, it seems even stranger that you know, Dune is, what, 1984, and this was nine years earlier, and it's right. the same. That's the career track he was on. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to distract from Cuckoo's Nest, but, no, it, is, but like, it, it is just this incredible collection of people who are all going to go on and be present in cultural stuff forever. Totally. Yeah. It's also just interesting like how careers were shaped back then as mm-hmm. now I think just because of television and the opportunity to do stuff I feel like as an actor now like there's just at least in Toronto at least just at this time there's so much more content that I'm involved in yeah. and I'm just so interested about what it would be like too if I was back then I mean it'd be totally different but being much more conscious of of the films that I choose, I guess, or the films mm. that I would even get offered or have the opportunity to be involved in. It's just a very different industry. Yeah, I, I just, mean, here, we're going to go shoot a movie in a mental hospital in Oregon. Yeah. For several months. Do you want to be part of it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. But yeah, ex- I just feel like everything was a bit slower or something. So yeah. Just like, well, there was less, right? I mean, yeah. there was less of the prestige stuff, certainly. If you were mm-hmm. making an important movie, everybody knew it. Mm-hmm. And you had the space to work with it. Um, uh, for, this was Foreman's uh, second American movie, I think. The first mm-hmm. one, nobody remembers. Taking it off? Taking off? Something like that. Okay. It was a, kind of a moderate sex farce. But he'd, he'd made films in Czechoslovakia before right. fleeing. Um, Fireman's Ball and... and Getting the name of the other really, truly great one, but they're on the wall behind you, um, in the Criterion section. Oh, right on. Uh, oh yeah, I have it all. And um, he's this, you know, this this art filmmaker known for his you know, Eastern European approach, and then he comes here and makes a movie that doesn't totally land, and then they give him this Michael Douglas, you know, 
Son of Kirk, who who played the role on mm-hmm. stage and produced it right. uh, as an adaptation. Um, Michael Douglas somehow gets behind this and says, "Hey, let's work on this. Let's get let's get the Czech guy." And he brings a perspective that is so completely flat, right? Like bleak. Like he builds a window into this story. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying about thinking like you're sitting there with them. Who figures that out? Who sees a play or reads the book and figures out that you need to be one of the patients to make this work? Huh. Like we have to be trapped in it too. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert complained. I take was, that so for granted. Like I'm just thinking. It's as just a always been I like totally that, right? It for granted, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ebert's review complained about the the fishing trip that they shouldn't leave the the asylum, hmm. and it opens up the movie too much. And I don't know. I think. They need the like we need to see the the taste of freedom. We need yeah. to see what it's what it could be like for them. Yeah, there's just a breath of something in that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the one time the style changes too, where the film doesn't have that perspective. True. And suddenly you're just in a looser, outdoorsy. I mean, it just it, again, it doesn't feel like a set. It doesn't feel like they did anything to to gussy up where we are. We're yeah. just there with them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was just imagining, again, Cheswick, who I think is my favorite character, steering the ship. And he's like, Mac? Mac? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's just so scared. Oh, I love him so much. Yeah. And that's what McCready does. He gets people to take chances and move outside their comfort zone mm. and all the other things that now, like, that's your standard boilerplate hero role. That's true. Um, and at the time, he's he's reviled for it. You know, it's the it's the wrong thing to do is to show these people that they can do more than they're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is the anti-establishment aspect of it too. But it's such a, like it's it was really weird to watch it now with the present day perspective of oh this is all standard all this is stuff that is absolutely expected of every drama. Sure. And was it the first time anyone had tried this? It can't have been. But Casey just found something. Maybe, maybe yeah. with this kind of content too, like with mental health and yeah. mental illness. That's it's, true. I, I don't know if things were. I mean, literally, the, the attitude was like, oh, they're in the loony bin. Yeah. It's like these castaways, these like uh, forgotten people. Often, mm-hmm. I think. well, no one's trying to treat them. They're just trying to medicate them. Like, yeah. To, to tranquilize them. Exactly. Oh man, yes, and just the lobotomies. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, it's horrible. And and presented without any. I mean, I guess there's a little more. um, There's that. There's that nervous comedy about the little dabble do you, and he's about to get electroconvulsive therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, which is absolutely a torture tactic. I mean, that's that was what really surprised me this time. I I hadn't. I mean, I hadn't seen it in forever, and I had kind of blurred on the specifics of that it's like oh no no she's just doing this to hurt him that's Mm. all this is she knows that whatever happens it's going to make it worse Mm. and it felt like i mean it's obviously the point where you can know you can no longer be on board with ratchet as a sympathetic character but again she makes the wrong choice and that is in itself kind of fascinating and flawed and human yeah and awful but she chooses it and that's a character decision, right? Like, it doesn't feel forced in the moment. We, we totally understand why she's doing the yeah. wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how she is 100% justifying to herself that yeah. it's the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's just how you conducted 
everything in the mm-hmm. hospital. Yeah. <laughs> it's like and you have to keep them sedated. You have to keep them under control. Yeah. Otherwise, there's risk. A hundred percent. And I just, I think you're right. I don't know that anyone had really tried it like that before. There were, you know, movies like The Snake Pit and all the, mm. the, the famous ones from the, the 40s and 50s that were really much more melodramatic about people going mad and being yeah. locked up with other people who were mad. Yeah. And that's where it stopped. I guess Sam Fuller's Shock Corridor would have been the late 60s. I haven't and seen it. it's... It's great, but yeah. it is in no way a real representation of mental illness. It's mm. like a, it's about a journalist who fakes insanity to get himself committed to an institution to expose a murder, and goes insane himself in the process. Right. Spoiler. Um, but it's and it's but it's you know it's all Dutch angles and and crazy music and and like quote unquote crazy music. Right. The idea to put us in the head of of a world gone mad and it mm. it really works. It's a fun ride, but it is in no way like this. This came along less than 10 years later i think and Mm -hmm. it's just they're worlds apart Mm -hmm. such a different way of looking at people in in an institution oh yeah um and letting them and letting the actors fill in the characters that don't have a lot to do or say yeah there's just like a couple of small things devito does with his hands and with his shoulders that make me see that guy yeah and he's like this smile he has on his face even like He's he has this smile in his eyes, like even when he discovers Billy's body. Like there's just this, and for for me, like at least when you're trying to discover a, a character and and movement and stuff, it's like where do they hold the tension? It's not really that he's smiling. It's just that he, this is like how he can control his experience. There's right. just something. Anyway, I just thought that was such a smart choice such an interesting choice um yeah yeah i think it i just think it holds up in a lot of ways and also points to a lot of things that uh were problems Mm -hmm. with storytelling at the time yeah um but yeah both the putting the power back in people's hands it's I think it's it's really interesting that these a lot of these characters were voluntary oh that's right yeah committed yeah intentionally voluntarily and there is I, I, I'm of two worlds about this because McMurphy is very upset that they're voluntary he's like get the hell out of here but then also there's part of me that's like good for them that they know that they need some help right now and like Billy at one point is like when he asks to go on a date with Candy and and Jack's like well you gotta why not right now and and Billy's like no 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 like I'm not ready yeah and I was like oh he's not ready he knows he's not ready (laughs) um and he's right because it all goes to hell I mean it is absolutely and so there was, uh, yeah, I guess watching it now, there was, and with the way that we talk about mental health now, the language we have around it, about boundaries, about your own boundaries and, and stuff, I was like, I, I, I saw that, that stuck up to me now, where I was like, it's kind of cool, in a way, that they knew this about themselves. Yeah, it's in the material, even if it's not 
sort of acknowledged in the same way that it would be now. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you, I mean, how would you even do it now? How did you do it? How did the stage version play out? Well, we still said it in the, we said it in the 60s, mm-hmm. late 60s. Um, how did we do it in terms of... Well, what was the perspective? What was the the tone of it? Well, the okay, well, in a way, sexuality and gender had a lot to do with it because I was no longer an unhinged, unhinged, quote-unquote, man in Nurse Ratched's eyes. I was a woman. Mm-hmm. And there was something that was almost a bit more of a threat to the way that she looked at the world um, because I'm also very sexual like talking about sex all the time um, Candy is a character who is still in the play and mm-hmm. and um, also there was a part in the it was in the film as well that was cut out where McMurphy is in his boxer shorts in front of Ratchet, and there's supposed to be this like intimidation about that about this man who's not clothed in front of her, and we're like, well, it's not the same for a woman to be in her underwear in front of another woman. It's not intimidating in the same way. Right. So the director, who I really trusted, was like, okay, can we play this topless? Like, can you? Because something about that freedom in front of Ratchet is intimidating sure it draws a contrast if nothing else for the sure yeah. sure and so i trusted the director and i trusted the the material and so i did it and so there was something it was really like these two women where one's holding on to this is you know the the way that a woman is expected to behave and expected to navigate the world and then there was someone that was kind of breaking off she's queer she's uh loves uh having fun and expressing herself and so i think the the play started to really become about that actually like propriety yeah in the sense that there are things you just don't do exactly okay um i mean that is the same conflict ultimately it is it is expressed differently yeah I think it's just um, there are certain parts of the story that are different, literally, because my character's female. Mm. And if you turn it into a conflict of personal expectation it, mm-hmm. instead of the state, right? Like, it's not about, this is really, I wish I'd seen it. That sounds really fascinating. It's just, <laughs> just the idea that Ratchet is driven by her own specific expectations Absolutely. instead of what is supposed to happen generally. Yeah. That makes Ratchet a lot more interesting too. Yeah, I think it I mean, in a way I'd sort of like love to do this production again. Um possibly with the blessing of of uh I can't remember the who adapted it to the play. Um well, Kirk Douglas is no longer around. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Nicholson's still kicking. Yeah. Um, but I'd almost like to see an updated version, again, with with a female lead. Um, yeah. It was really amazing when we did it. Like, we, we loved what we did. We were really proud of it. Yeah. I mean, it is such a masculine play. It, it is. It would change 
more than most, I think it would actually change everything about the adaptation to just flip one role. Yeah. Yeah, or several. Yeah, there was a couple of, like, half of the patients were men, half of the patients were women. Mm. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, Ryan Murphy's not going to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I also don't know if there's actually co-ed wards. Well, maybe. I'm not sure. Probably somewhere, but it it feels like it would be, especially with the, the, the nature of, well, McMurphy's in there for something... It wasn't violent exactly, right? It was coercion of... Uh, well, there was assault. There was assault. And apparently there was statutory rape. Yeah. Which is something that you'd have to deal with now, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, in a much more aggressive... I, it felt to me in the movie as though they're they're leaving some question as to whether or not that actually happened. But, you know, whether it's just a convenient charge to throw him in. Right. But it sounds like it happened. Or something. Well, he kind like, of admits un- to it to the doctor. He was like, she was... 15 going on 30 or whatever right, he yeah. said and it's boasting yeah and he was like she told me she was 18 da, da, da. um yeah that if, especially in this culture right now like definitely oh yeah you need to interrogate that somehow yeah you, i think i made absolutely. a i made the decision in my mind that he hadn't actually slept with her that he'd been arrested on statutory mm-hmm. charges and that was enough to mm-hmm. to do it but no you're right he he probably did. <laughs> yeah, for, he's boasting about that it. That guy would sure. do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, it is, um, and I feel like it's something that would have to be uh, what you said reinterrogated again. Yeah. Um, but but uh, if it's a woman, that changes things again, right? Like it it's, does. It's just more well loaded is the wrong word, but it is more. There's more material. There's more to to dig into. It's a different conversation around it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it really is. This is really fascinating. <laughs> I like. Oh, now it's become about my college play. <laughs> I'm curious. It sounds like you had a handle on the material. <laughs> we had a blast doing it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was cool because, I it, I didn't watch the movie, mm-hmm. and then watching it after having done the production. It was pretty cool to see how there. We. I feel like we captured some of what they captured in the film. Um, in terms of this. Just the, this beautiful ensemble. Mm-hmm. It's really in the material. Um, What's the essence of it, right? It I mean, is. The, it is. Codependence uh, and interdependence. Yeah. I guess, and the way that. Uh, I th- Think it was. I think it was Ebert's review. I was reading a bunch of them just to refamiliarize myself with the way it was received at the time. And Ebert didn't ultimately like it. He thought the ending was a cop out. That it. Yeah. It, it's like Billy's death is predest- predetermined, and he just didn't. Bl- he didn't buy it that mm. things would go that way, which is always weird because that is where they go. That's what happens in the movie. And you can choose to accept it or not. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's where the material always went. That's mm-hmm. what happens in the book and everything else. But one thing he said was that McMurphy has an impulse to form teams. That his his whole thing is to organize everyone against somebody. Mm. And that's the dynamic that dooms him. It's because he wants to one-up Ratchet. And at first it's taunting. And then it's rage because he's denied the World Series. And right. the way he just keeps forcing everybody into this group that is on his side. That is more disruptive than anything else that happens in the course of the film. And... 
like Ebert's not wrong about that. Hmm. It's it's weird to see it from like again, you kind of want to watch it from Ratchet's perspective. This destabilizing force arrives and ruins everything. Right. And I'm pretty sure that's where the the, the Ryan Murphy show is going to go. Ah, uh, interesting. But I just I, I I get it, and at the same time, there's so much of that that is 1970s. Like that is sure. countercultural, post hippie, anti authority, um, you know, defy the man, although mm-hmm. the man is a woman in this case, which mm-hmm. is also really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I just I saw it with this is going to sound like a stretch, and I apologize. But I saw it just this like Elizabeth Warren just dropped out of the race, and the weird oh. condescension that she was getting. Oh, it it kind of clicked in my head that. This you know, like if you were determined to see her as the fun ruiner, as the woman who you know I have a plan, let's behave, then maybe that's the same kind of relationship, I think that was starting to form. Like certainly the Bernie Sanders supporters were treating her that way, and um, Biden's people don't know what to do. But but like she, I I'm so pissed off. Um, I voted for her in the primary. Yeah, dual citizen. I get to do that. Oh right. On. And it didn't do anything, but. Watching that happen and then watching Cuckoo's Nest again, it's like, shit, that we've learned nothing. It's been 45 years and we still treat anyone, any woman with a, a semblance of competence and authority as a monster. Or that, that rather, that's McMurphy's immediate response to Ratchet. Yeah, and it, there's also this thing of, I'm trying to imagine if Ratchet was a man. Yeah. There would, I think there would definitely be something where McMurphy would try to be like sidling up, like Yeah, he'd buddy buddy him, right? And if that didn't work, I feel like it would be like, okay, then it's violence. Then I have to take this person out. Mm-hmm. And there's something about how he terrorizes her. Yeah, it's cruel. It's cruel. Yeah, exactly. That I don't, I don't know. I'm not a man, but I, I wonder if that tactic would have ever been employed if it was a man. Yeah, I don't. I think you're right. I think. I mean, I think it, it, the way you described it is exactly right. He would try to make friends. Mm-hmm. He never tries that with Ratchet. He doesn't try to sweet talk her. He immediately just puts up a wall. Mm-hmm. And even when he's sweet talking her, it's sarcastic. You can feel it's not yeah. real. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is because not maybe I'm sure it's because he doesn't see her as attractive, right? Oof, like if he tried true. to seduce her, it would be far far worse. True. But the way that and it works in the performance. I think Nicholson is I'm, like I'm sure he's conscious of everything he's doing. Yeah. But the rivalry he sets up and the way he isolates her with with just dialogue and then the way he, he physically responds to her by pull, like pulling back and not being close. Mm-hmm. And, well, when he is close, it's it's an in, in intimidation tactic. It's, it's ugly. Mm-hmm. And it's ugly in a really effective way mm-hmm. that speaks to, uh, yeah, gender relations and, and especially in the 70s when things were just so completely... Swaggering, um, you know, the summer of love did not take, and you know, <laughs> women's lib would have just been defeated. I think because right. that was the ERA was seventy four. No, maybe it was seventy six. When the film came out was seventy five. Yeah, I don't remember that one specifically, that timeline, but it was there, like it was in the air, right. and he is like consciously playing a toxic masculine presence. Totally, and she responds by armoring up and getting harder. Yeah. And getting cruel back at him. And yeah. it's it's like I'm going over it and thinking, wait, did he start it? Is he actually the instigator as well mm. as the aggressor? Because she becomes the villain. 
But I think there's a point where maybe she wasn't. And he never I gave her the totally chance to. I totally agree. I think there was a point where she wasn't. Yeah. Like, I, I thought the same thing. Where I was like, she's being like, in group therapy, being like, okay, Randall, like, you speak. And giving him space to speak, really. Yeah, yeah. And he's stirring stuff up. Um, yeah, I think the... I think where it really shifts is, for me, watching it, is when it was the way she was treating Cheswick with the... It was when he was asking for the cigarettes and stuff, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the... Oh, no, it was the vote. It was the vote. The World Series. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. When they're like, we got the votes. And she's like, no, the vote was over. I mean, I understand drawing those hard lines, but oof I was like oh man your character's not coming back from this um yeah 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 that's interesting what you said about Elizabeth Warren I'm so pissed about that it's heartbreaking yeah the (sighs) yep the most competent the most competent candidate and you know it happened in 2016 I mean it happened in 2016 it happened now and it's gonna happen again and uh, I can't I really can't wait for uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I want to say AOC, but then I also want to say her whole name, so my brain is fighting. I cannot wait for her to run, because she will just not put up with any of this shit. Absolutely. She won't be so good at it. She'll be amazing. She'll change everything. Yeah. 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 And they'll put her in an institution before that happens, because, (laughs) just to keep it on point, (laughs) because the Democrats are inherently self uh, self-destructive and right. self-sabotaging right oh man now I'm just depressed again no no um, but to, uh, to to the to get back to the, yeah. the point of the podcast um, is there anything in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest I mean obviously you've used it in, on mm-hmm. on stage but before you saw the film is there anything in the film that you have subsequently borrowed or absorbed yeah or? I think so um, it's a reminder that the most delicious mm-hmm. moments of cinema are, for me, I, I think as a, an audience member and I hope to implement as an actor, is when it it's... It's so deeply unique. It's so authentic. It's so... Your, it's so them. It's so, hopefully next time I do something, so me, something that just feels, uh, that it's not a reproduction of something you've seen before. And I feel like there was so many performances, aside from McMurphy, that, that had that, that had that quality. And I think it, for me, it's a reminder that that's the magic of cinema, that's the magic of telling stories is when you're like oh that's ooh, that's a person yeah you know yeah yeah that i mean it happens every now and then where you're watching something and suddenly you just go who is that i mm-hmm. want to follow that person for the rest of this movie and it's not about them but i'm mad now absolutely <laughs> something like, happened philip seymour hoffman and everything he does or yeah. has done and um yeah a teacher an acting teacher said this a few months ago to me the voice of media, um, be careful of the voice of media, meaning like 
say you're playing a cop and you get used to how a cop talks. So then you're doing a reproduction of a reproduction. And so this just is kind of reminding me to come back to the basics. Like this is a person that behaves a certain way, expresses this feeling a certain way. It should never be copying someone else's performance. Um, and that that's something that I, I have to kind of always remind myself of. Because yeah. it's easy. It's insidious sometimes oh. as an actor. You're like, oh, this is a tough guy. And you're like, oh, no. No. I mean, we all know... What we haven't played the formed ideas, yeah. right? So you want, of course, we all know what that voice is or who that person is supposed to be, but that's it's inauthentic at at least, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, phony at best. Yeah. So okay, what was the what's the performance where you feel like you captured that the most? What is the most authentic thing? Oh. I mean, I want to say Letterkenny, but yeah, Letterkenny. <laughs> just because it's it's you know, bouncing off of each other so beautifully. Thanks. Yeah, no, I love that. Oh, we had a we. Had, <laughs> that's my one of my favorite jobs, at, like ever of all time. It's so easy in in this way, just because. I mean, the words really speak for themselves. Like I feel sometimes I just have to go there and open my mouth and just say it. Like the words do the work. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, that character sure. Uh. I I just filmed a pilot that I feel like I I feel like I accessed that again. Okay. A bit of that. A bit of that. There was just there was a lot of freedom in this character that I felt like I could just do whatever I wanted and they liked that. Um I didn't have a preconceived idea of who they were. Okay. I I've been starting to do this thing when I audition where I don't look at the breakdown, like the description of the character, where they're like, she's stoic and da-da-da. I, I see, like, okay, the name of the character, what's the relationship with these people? Okay, cool. Read the scenes, the script, if I have it. And I just try to do what, what I want. And that seems to be pretty well received. I'm like, oh, yeah. Again, this is just... In this weird way, acting's like the art of self-realization. It's um, it's being, uh, at least for me, I want to be as radically honest in whoever I'm playing as I can be. And that is showing myself. Right, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely am so happy that I revisited this right now. In my career, how, sure. How often do you get back to it? This is the first time I got back to it oh, since really? I'd watched it like 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. love it when we can do this. We can just, you know, truly revisit something that people, I mean, there's stuff that people know inside and out. Mm-hmm. And even for me, like, it had been a long time since mm-hmm. I, since the DVD special edition maybe came out that mm-hmm. I had not watched this film. And yeah, holds up. I mean, mostly. Yeah. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think it's great that, also as a culture, we're evolving and able to. Even have the language to talk about what yeah. bothers us about this now. Yeah. Um. 
Because I think we should always be changing and and moving yeah. and rumbling with all of this. Yeah, well, I mean, I keep coming back to that on this show just because it deals with stuff that's decades old so often. Right. The movies are fixed. Like, it's it's us. We change. Every time you revisit uh, the yeah. movie, you're different. You bring something yeah. else. I mean, ideally, hopefully, it just it's good to know that you've evolved or, or at least advanced uh-huh. um, when you revisit something. And so, yeah. Yeah. This is so scary. I wonder about what it'll look fe- like in 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. So true. It would be like, they don't have, psychiatric wards don't exist in the same way. Yeah. Or like, yeah, who knows? Yeah. And our stuff is going to look so weird. Oh, yeah. I'm worried about that. I'm always worried about that. Really? What am I screwing up for the future? What terms am I using incorrectly? What am I missing? Oh, sure. Yeah. How have I condescended to someone accidentally? Yeah. yeah. That's hard. I know. And it never goes away, but it's a reminder. You're right. It's a reminder of who you were. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're better. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm an optimist. I have hope that we are getting better. Yeah. I, I think I hope so too and also you know I think it's just a general optimistic act to assume that we'll still be here to watch movies in 10 years oh man that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yeah yeah wash your hands everybody yeah exactly stock up on the hand sanitizer <laughs> yeah my thanks to Jess Salguero whose new movie Canadian Strain is now available on demand on your digital platform of choice It pairs her with a dozen or so of Toronto's best character actors, including friends of the show Natalie Brown and Naomi Snickers. Take a look. Thanks also to Robin Mogul. She knows what she did. You can find Jess on Twitter at Jess Salguero, all one word, and you can find One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or you've been enjoying the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. As I mentioned last week, the big story is devoting itself almost entirely to coronavirus coverage, and it's, uh, it's really helpful. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. Stay inside, watch some movies. We'll see you next week.